Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. All right. How are you? Yeah. Oh, you got in there first this time. Yeah. I'm very well, thanks. Got good, uh, got good. a new mixer, so the sound quality should be better. You'd hope so, because last time the sound quality was rubbish, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you it know, sounded it sounded like we were recording at the bottom of a large well. Things can only get better, hopefully. Yeah. Well, that's not actually true, is it? It could get a lot worse easily, I think. What? Um, no, I don't know what I was going to say. Got out of my head. Don't worry about it. Probably nothing interesting. Oh yeah, you've moved uh, station without telling me. Oh yeah, so well, you didn't get the transfer. memo. Who put the transfer request in uh, about a station which they've previously slagged off pretty heavily, um, and then moves without telling their um, their closest um, ally? Well, the person. A few things happened to... there. First, okay, go on. I can't imagine I ever slagged off this station. If anyone from the station wants to find out what he said, just eat, just uh, find on Twitter. Just email uh, podcast at p r e m dot e d s dot com dot org. No, I mean I may have made light-hearted jokes in jest because I'm such a social butterfly. So yeah, what can you do? What's new with you? You've been working. Uh, what's new with me? Um, on a little course, are you? Yeah, I'm on a course currently. A little course, um, little CPD course. You want to know about it? Yeah, go on then. It's uh, operational commanders course. Pretty good, actually. I like it. I've enjoyed it a lot. It's, yeah. uh, the guy that's teaching is very knowledgeable and experienced, and that's good. Knows what he's talking about, and so he's, uh, you know. I'd, I'd even go as far as saying he's an expert on the subject. Wow. And so, um, and so, yeah, so it's been good to, uh, good to do a bit of learning. It's the old operational commander role, is it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Nice. And 
extra pips. Yeah, so extra pips, extra <laughs> pips, extra responsibility. And let me tell you something, a lot of extra emails. But, um, yeah. but I've, still been out to, I've still been out to seeing some patients, which is good. That was my concern. Yeah, that I wouldn't uh... have... Uh, I wouldn't be seeing. Uh, well, obviously not seeing so many patients, but I was. I was really concerned that I would basically see none. But I have still managed to get out and do some clinical work, which is good. Because, and I suppose you can um, also sleep better at night knowing that the less patients you see, <clears throat> you see, the better overall outcomes for those patients, probably. Oh uh, yeah, because of my um, incompetence. Uh, what's it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, I. Uh, I'd have to agree. Yeah, no, emails emails have you learned about inbox rules <laughs> have we learned about what inbox rules inbox rules yeah no go on well I will go on and I mean almost I think it's probably fair to have not even a clinical pearl <laughs> this week or month but a uh, at, no what is it office pearl yeah yeah, go on. So basically, if you go on your emails and then search inbox rules, you can um, set specific rules. So, for instance, if you get an email from a certain person with a certain word in the title, automatically go in the bin. <laughs> so, so I may or may yeah. not have an automatic rule that anything to do with road closures is deleted immediately. Uh, yeah. Anything from certain managers goes straight into a a subcategory folder I never look at, etc. And you'll find Yeah, that is good. And you know, I think, you know, you are you are the person I would come to if I um not not clinical advice. God no. no that would be uh that I think that would be a mistake. But for for technical advice, sure. Uh you know, like um you're essentially IT, you're the IT guy, aren't you? Um and you've got that level of um, you know, like dweeb about you, haven't you? So, that level of social confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Not, yeah, you know, no, so shouldn't, that sort of IT crowd type vibe. Yeah, yeah. Like sexy geek. Yes. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, inbox rule was try it. You'll not look back. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, definitely, I've made a note of that. Made a note of that on my uh, to-do list, which is much longer than it ever has been. So that's good too. Nice. I've been at risk of um, this becoming too exciting. Should we? Should we talk about the case? Have we got a case? Oh yes, someone submitted a case. How many? How many? How many did you have to choose from? Don't loads, be honest. Loads, It'll make us look bad. Loads of cases. <clears throat> In fact, you know we've discussed doing this podcast weekly, but I just can't dedicate the time to sifting through the podcast email address uh, because it yeah. takes so long. Which is? Should we say it? Go on. Do you want me to say it? This yeah, podcast go on. No, what is it? Go on. Tell the listeners. Uh, it's a podcast. At yeah. pren-ed dot org. Oh no, I was going to play clap, but it's not .org. Try again. Okay. Podcast at pren-ed dot com. <laughs> okay. Well, the new mix has got sound, uh, sound effects. effects. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, that's it. Thank you to our live you, audience. Yeah. And you live with another human being um, in that house. And I suspect that you've been trying to show her all of those sound effects and expect her to be impressed. Um, and I would imagine that she isn't. 
Is that correct? <laughs> that was her, so... <laughs> no, uh, actually, what what is happening is I've got headphones on, so she, all she can hear is my weird com- one-sided conversation with yeah. no Which sound is, effects. Which is, again, probably how it goes in your house, isn't it? One-sided yeah, conversation. Fair. I think she's talking now, but like I said, I've got headphones on, so I can't hear what she's saying. Uh, anyway, so the case. So thanks to Jay from somewhere for this case. That's one we've picked out at random from the hundreds that we've received this week. Um... You, I mean, I know the details, obviously, because I'm talking about it. So you, you, do you feel ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Um, so, yeah, thanks to Jay for this submission. Uh, so he was called uh, to... So he, he's uh, an associate ambulance practitioner. Um, and he's working with a support worker crewmate. So they were called to a C2 call uh, for a 70-year-old male approximately, unwitnessed collapse in the street uh, and he'd sustained a head injury. Got there in five well, minutes. Got, yeah. Got there in yep. five minutes. Once on scene, lots of bystanders, um, someone propping up the patient. Uh, and so primary survey, no catastrophic hemorrhage. Uh, patient is responding to voice. Um, airway, self-maintained. Breathing, self-ventilating. Don't have a rate for you. Oh no, I will have under OBS. Uh, circulation, good radial pulses, GCS is 13, eyes 3, voice 4, motor 6. Um, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. What's the GCS? 3, 4, eyes, 6. Eyes, what? 3, E. <laughs> You're making notes. Yeah, well, yeah, I am taking notes, yeah, because, I mean, GCS is something that even when doing it, even even the, when I've, I've got, I've got, gone for E, uh, I've got to V, I've got the M, and then finally I've got my M, and I've forgotten what the V is. And this is a, a common issue with me, so I uh, write things down. And when I look at numbers, it confuses me more. <laughs> so in a in a high bandwidth situation, writing things like this, this is one for yeah, sure. Uh, I would I'm writing them down. So go on, uh, E what? Three. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Six. So GCS of thirteen, motor score of six. Nice. Yeah. Um, That's quite a good motor score, isn't it? So patient's really sitting up. So they helped him onto his feet, uh, got him into the ambulance, onto a stretcher, and did a full assessment. OBS respirate twenty two. Sats ninety eight percent on air. Heart rate's one hundred and four regular. Blood pressure two hundred and twenty four over one hundred and twenty six. That's um... high. Uh, give him some amateur, send him home next. Nah, I don't have to drug a choice. Don't have to drug a choice. It's uh, very much a hypertensive joke. Ha ha. Temperature 35.9, blood glucose 7.2. I know. And you know the GCS because we just discussed it for far too long. Yeah, and I've forgotten it, even though I've Excellent. No, go on. Yeah. Uh, so on his head, he's got a big hematoma to the right side of his forehead um, with a little laceration over it. Not much bleeding. Um, no obvious boggy mass, um, and then uh, pupils were known to be unequal, um, although not blown, on the on the one side. But left side was size six, and right side was size three. So I think what he's getting at is it wasn't completely dilated, but they were unequal. Right, six and three, yeah. Six and three. He also had a lot of swelling to the right side of his eye socket and a deformity to his nose. 
right. No other injuries top to toe. Sounds like sounds like it's fallen over. Yeah, astute. What else do you want? What's okay. going on? What are you thinking? Well, it's not. How old did you say? Seventy something. Seventies. Uh, Seventy. Yeah. I mean, it, the history isn't. Uh, it, you know, because I don't know. Looking at those, so that blood pressure is alarmingly high. Two hundred twenty-four over one hundred twenty-six. That's the sort of blood pressure that you do it, and you go, "I'll just do that again." keep your arm keep your arm really still keep your arm still no I'm not talking about I'm talking about really still because that probably is inaccurate how often do you see an abnormal blood pressure presumably on a non-invasive on the um, cuff thing the electric oscillometry Um, and then I'll do do a manual yeah I mean I I do are you guessing at the fact that that not many people do manual blood pressure they just sort of take what the machine says I I don't think people do and I think I also don't often, but I think we probably should. I do quite often, actually. That is one of the things that I do because you know because there are a lot of, like, you know, and any it's quite a, it's a good indicator of deterioration blood pressure. You know, like it, and obviously it's not subtle. You <laughs> there's know, like there's you, the clinical pearl. Yeah, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> if you learn get nothing ready. else if today, blood pressure is going down. That is bad. Um, I just think that it's easy to be um, false, like falsely reassured by a normal blood pressure, you know, so like you go to someone who, or a high blood pressure, you know, you go to someone who is having any sort of arrhythmia, the electronic blood pressure monitor tend to be, it tends to be inaccurate, you know, so like, yeah. so I, if I have, if I have a blood pressure, which I think is uh, inaccurate or a bit erroneous, like that one is, the one that you gave me for this case, I probably would be doing the manual blood pressure one. Yeah, you know, I, I've spent a disproportionate amount of time looking into this um, when I was at uni, and mm. it is what you said is interesting. Like that, that is the the main kind of take homes from it that I found is like, firstly, um, because so they they use oscillometry, so it basically measures the um, different strengths of oscillations of each pulse. So if someone's got AF, and their each pulse strength varies with the heart rate. It makes the machine struggle to calculate pressure. Um, but the other thing is they're calibrated, obviously, on healthy people because it's yeah. unethical to calibrate them on someone that's in shock or having a, seat, a stroke or whatever. Um, so mm. they, I think, are accurate with patients with normal blood pressure. But when you go to the extremes, like really high or really low, if they're bleeding out or whatever, they're not really calibrated for those patients and so there's, we don't really know whether they're accurate or not. Right. So that they were my main take home. So yeah, I think, like you're saying, I think it's quite a sensible thing to do. So I, I use it as standard, but I think if the blood pressure is very low or very high or if, it, if the machine is struggling, um, then yeah, I'm, I try and remind myself to do a manual. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, face value, looking at the, uh, you know, there's, a, there's this, I guess the realist side of me is saying, that blood pressure is a bit absurd, so I'd want to, I'd want to check it a bit, you know, either by repeating it or by doing a manual. But yeah. you know, they have got a reduced GCS, albeit not a, you know, a high motor score. And so I guess the the concern, and it's just not you know, and probably the reason that we're talking about it. This case is that he's got a you know, bleed or something that's either traumatic or it's like a. a yeah, to be fair, I don't want to give too much away, but I can tell you he didn't submit this case 
to have a complex conversation about an erroneous blood pressure reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been, it would have been about the level of interesting that we usually uh, end up talking about. So. Yeah, no, fair point. And this is going out on April the 1st, so who knows what will happen. Yeah, good point. Anyway, um, anything else you want to know or do? Um, I would, those pu- that pupils thing would annoy me. It, I, my understanding is is that like um, is that pe- you know patients who have like what they call as like blown pupil, you know, like or unequal pupils, that tends to be a quite a late sign. Am I right in like traumatic brain injury? So if someone's you know I, I've had it before where I've had a patient who was c- quite heavily you know, like obviously a traumatic brain injury, you know, like a significant uh, sort of a like high mechanism. It appeared to be an isolated head, low GCS, you know, sort of uh, difficult airway, that sort of thing. And then had a seizure and then en route to the hospital, their pupils were equal and then he, and then his blue a left, his left pupil, you know. So it's like, it was, it was obvious that he was like a deteriorating head injury. Yes. And I, it was my impression that, uh, that pupil, pupillary change in traumatic brain injury is quite a late sign. Is that right or not? Yeah, I think it, well, it depends on the severity, but essentially, yeah, if it's, if it's bleeding, I mean, it's, so the, it's the ocular motor nerve that causes pupillary constriction. So I think they naturally would dilate. And so if the ocular motor nerve is not functioning, that's when the pupil dilates. Sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, so if it's, if it's like a bleed, then it basically occurs when there's significant enough bleeding <clears throat> or pressure, not necessarily bleeding, but significant enough intracranial pressure to squash the ocular motor nerve and stop it from working. Mm. I think it's a thing. So, yeah. But then again, like if you have a massive head injury, it might happen immediately if you cause immediate damage to the ocular motor nerve. And then also, obviously, yeah. there's you could just get direct damage to the nerve, which would affect it, I suppose. But yeah, I think, largely speaking, it's, it's used as a sign of uh, deterioration, isn't it? And I think, so So we carry um, hypertonic saline for traumatic brain injuries uh, because it's, I think the evidence is pretty slim at best, but the woolly. idea... Jury's is, out. Jury's out, woolly, poor evidence. But the idea... Jury doesn't care. It's not as though there's loads of uh, large-scale studies ongoing, is there? No one's, uh, no one's bothered anymore about hypertonic saline. I don't, think really, yeah, I don't think people really care. But the idea is that it reduces intracranial pressure. So sometimes... Yeah. Rarely, people report that you can give it. Someone's got a, like a blown pupil. You give it, and you and the pupil um, constricts again. And and also, when people have an anaesthetic, like an RSI for head injury, that can sometimes happen as well. Because if you sort out the oxygenation and ventilation, and that can reduce the intracranial pressure as well, and that can yep. reverse the pupillary change. So yeah, it's a little thing to keep an eye on, I suppose. <laughs> I wonder if in this case so, it sorry. was like uh... sorry. It was the pupils thing. It's like uh, hold on. It's like confirmation just, bias, isn't it? You can't just completely ignore my pun. I'm oh, sorry. Was there a pun? Was there a joke there? I said it's a good one to keep an eye on. Oh, because of the pupils. Because of pupils. Yeah, I can see what you've done there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Do you don't put a sound effect in? Okay. Yeah. Do you, uh, if you want to. We can go back over that and I can pretend to laugh, but I don't think I'm going to be able to muster. I don't need you to laugh anymore, do I? I've got an audience. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Finally, someone to boost your self esteem, <laughs> even if it's only a machine. And I can control the volume. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I'll, that's that's the situation. Get, get ready, because I, I was about to make a banger of a point there. So oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. 
Yeah, I wonder, the, the pupils, the, you know, unequal pupils thing. I, you know, I mean, obviously the size thing is always a bit like, I'll look at someone's pupils and they'll be like, someone will be like, oh, they're size two. And I'll be like, oh, pretty small, isn't it? They're not that small, you know. So I wonder if there's a bit of like confirmation bias there. That's the right type of bias, isn't it? You know, like uh, he's, he's, look, he's, look, he's looking at the low, the sort of reduced GCS, someone with a head injury with a high blood pressure. I wonder if, I wonder at what point he's checked his pupils. You know, I mean, after he's got all that stuff and he's forming that like narrative in his head of, oh, this is someone who's got head injury. Yeah. Oh, I look at his pupils. Oh, he's got, you know, unequal pupils. I wonder whether, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. My wife's got pupils that are one bigger than the other and she hasn't got a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, that is an so. interesting point. And I also think, you know, lots of people have cataracts and stuff, which makes, well, like when I was newly qualified, I used to freak out when people had abnormal pupils out of context. <laughs> And that's why, like, if he has done that and thought, oh, it's head injury, so I'll check the pupils, then good work because you're clearly assessing something that is useful information. Yeah. But this whole thing yeah. of, like, oh, check everyone's blood sugar and pupils constantly. And then you're, like, newly qualified, not very confident, and then you've gone to someone that's cut their finger and they've got unequal pupils, and then you're freaking out. Are you? I was. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think you're right, and... Uh, no, I, I've I've never freaked out about it because I'm um, irresponsible. <laughs> oh, but yeah, also, yeah. but I'm I think that it is the context thing. You know, like you look at something, you you know, it's, it's just not it's not going to be it's not going to be a thing, is it? You know, it's not going to be a thing for this patient at this time. Whereas this, you know, obviously this guy, it may well be, but I just it was just a it was just an interesting thought that I had, and they don't happen very often, so it's good to mention it. What about the fact that his uh, left pupil is size six and his injury is on the right? I don't know the difference between left and right, so this is going to be a challenge for me. If you just hold your hands up in front of you and stick your thumbs out, the one that makes an L oh. is your left hand. Oh, oh yeah. I'll have to start. I can start writing it on my shoes then. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? So his left pupil, is it the left pupil that was larger? Yeah. Uh, and it's got a right-sided head injury. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there you go. You've had me. You've got me. So, right brain, left body. That's the uh, that's the opposite. It's opposite, isn't it? Why do they? Why have it they is, done that? Well, it is for the body, but not for oculomotor nerves, unfortunately. They are. Oh, that is interesting. Ipsilateral. I told you I, when you said, "Oh, this case is neuro," I said, "I think I literally said, oh, shit.'" Because my neurological knowledge is poor, yeah. so um, so yeah. It, so hold on a second. It's the oculomotor nerve. It's the it that wouldn't work for that left right sort of switch over, but but the muscles and that right in the so so you know if it was affecting if he like, had a massive you know having a stroke because then he was sort of displaying typical stroke symptoms, then he would have opposite sided symptoms. It's just the eyes that are not. So don't do that pattern. Is that fair? So, like with a stroke, you might get right right sided facial weakness and left sided arm weakness. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to get? At? No, it wasn't what I was trying to get. Yes. At. I was trying to get at the fact that uh, uh, you, if you had a right sided stroke, mm -hmm. your right eye would be affected because of what you said about ocular motor nerve, oh, but yeah. your left side of your body and face would be affected. Uh, yeah. Good. How long do we do on that? About two or three minutes? <laughs> yeah, that's quite long, wasn't it? So basically, if someone's hit their head on the right side, you expect their right pupil to be affected, wouldn't you? That's basically what we're getting Yes. 
Yes, I would. Hold on a second. Let me, let me say it. Let me say it. Go on, go on. I think if someone had a head injury on the right side of their face or head, they, I'd expect to see their right pupil affected. Wouldn't you? Just want to go for on that one. And moving on. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. So, so what else do you want? Um, what do I want? I'd like to know what his repeat blood pressures were, probably. And That's I'd like to, I'd like to give him sort of ten minutes or five ten minutes or so to see how what his GCS does, basically. Okay. Um, so not, let me... not necessarily before making a decision, you know. Like, I mean, so what are you gonna me... do in the meantime? Um, he's probably going to hospital, isn't he? Let's be honest. He's going to hospital, so I might be thinking about getting him sort of into the back of an ambulance and uh, and ready to go. Okay. Well, whilst you're doing the ECG that you suggested, um, no, his... I'm not doing. Oh. I don't want to do an ECG. I don't. Care. <laughs> I don't care about the ECG. Okay. Well, um, I can tell you, blood pressure remained over 200 systolic consistently. Okay. And the GCS remained the same, 13. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd be concerned. This is the point that I'd start to be concerned. Say again. I said I would be concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's concerning, isn't it? We're, we're going to hospital. But um, what if you were to do an ECG for an unwitnessed collapse? Um, I mean, I probably would do an, un- an ECG. Although I reckon that this, these are sort of patients where I'd be like, I'd, I'd probably, that's the sort of thing I'd forget in a location like this. Because, you, you know, like, you, it's so easy to convince yourself, isn't it? That this is the, this is what it is. Maybe I wouldn't forget, but you know, you, I, it feels so, it feels unimportant because it's, it seems clear the route that this is going. Maybe that's because you've told me that uh, it's a neurological thing rather than a cardiac issue. But, um, but yeah, I mean, let's do an ECG. Why not? Ambulance yeah. people, aren't we? I mean, it is clear where it's going, but what if, I mean, is it clear? Cause I mean, do they go to, I mean, what, is, what do you think is going on at the moment currently? based on information provided? Uh, bleed in his head. So where are they going? Hospital. Which one? <laughs> what kind? <laughs> are you trying to get a triage decision out of me at this point in the uh, Yeah, because you the said they just go to hospital, but they need to go to a neurocenter, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, that's the sort of geolog- geographical challenges with that, isn't there, in certain places. You know, like where where in the area in the area I work, not you anymore because you've you've left it, yeah. but um, is, you know the closest neuro centre is uh, ninety minutes by road, and um, and that's a long way, and so you you know it's, I mean, there's some there's sort of some school of thought which says oh it's better to over triage in these situations than under triage, but I don't think the system agrees with that. I don't think that's the case. The trauma system. Yes, that's so there's a lot of over triage in there, but equally he, he he needs to go. It's you know we think it's trauma that's caused his caused this. So if he and if we're concerned he's got a traumatic brain injury, then yeah, he needs to go to neurocentre probably. Is that what they did? They're taking to neurocentre. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that was a, that was kind of working plan. Um, they did an ECG though, as we all would, um, go on. and had a massive STEMI. Oh, FFF. <laughs> <laughs> what the what I mean come on come on yeah Un- unbelievable yeah yeah that's irritating I'd say that's irritating yeah it's annoying isn't it? 
Yeah, it is annoying. Does it change? It annoying. Like, does it? You know, does it change your diagnosis? Your work yeah, I do aspirin. Uh, I give aspirin. Stat. Thrombolyze. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thrombolyze immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes it more complicated. That's for sure. That's for sure. I think probably at this point, I'd be calling for someone else to ask them what to do. Um, to be honest. Well, so they did that. So they um, well, initially, what they did was they sent the ECG to PPCI. Um, yeah. Because it was a STEMI. They said no because they thought it was due to the trauma. Uh, as in they thought That's the patient had a traumatic head injury and that was what was causing the STEMI. Uh, and then um, uh, then they spoke to the critical care desk um, for uh, triage advice, basically. Um, and they so the local A&E was 10 minutes away, so that's a trauma unit. <coughs> Sorry, no, that wasn't. That was the, the local emergency hospital. The trauma unit yeah. was 50 minutes away. And the yeah. NTC, which is the, obviously the neuro center, um, was an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so at the mo- so at this moment they kind of call the critical care desk. They're like, "That's the situation. Where do we go?" Because the guy's either having a intracranial bleed or a STEMI or both. Um, and during this conversation, the patient also developed uh, some left-sided upper and lower limb weakness uh, with slurred speech. And make him fast positive, obviously. Right. So then, I I think probably the best thing to do in this situation would just be to sort of get out of the ambulance, lock lock the doors, and walk into the nearest lake. <laughs> take, take your uniform off. Go to yeah. the job centre. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, now they're thinking to the patient symptomatic of a stroke, uh, which could be a hasu. They've also got symptoms of an intracranial bleed, given the history, which is a neurocenter, and uh, they're having an MI, which is a, a PPCI center. All different hospitals. So they agreed with the critical care desk that um, the TU was probably best because the patients had trauma. So it's more likely to be having a traumatic, like a hemorrhagic stroke than an ischemic one, obviously. That's yeah. fair. Um, and yeah. By convenience, this area, uh, the, the hospital that's a trauma unit also has PPCI. Yes, that is convenient. So that's pretty convenient. So they did that. Um, interesting point to note, I think, is the fact the patient's got um, upper and lower limb weakness. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I had a discussion with someone the other day. So like, uh, they're sort of typical like fast stroke you know the ones that the the ones that sort of people are obsessed with spotting yeah it's like 80 percent of people but it, it doesn't you don't usually get lower limb weakness with that which suggests to me that, that suggests to me that you like it's because the fact that it fits a hypothesis get ready here comes the word hypothesis it fits the hypothesis that it's a hemorrhagic stroke because it's affecting more than one region if it's a clot that's why you get that sort of you know, very obvious one region weakness of the sort of face, arm, speech. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so I think, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, because the thing is, is that, I mean, you, you know, like what's going to kill them first? And and I presume the, the idea of, well, who freaking knows, because they're both quite dangerous. But what's the, uh, the sort of thought process of taking them to a trauma unit that because, 
the likelihood is what's going to happen is that they'll scan, they'll scan him, and then they'll say, oh yeah, he's having a big bleed, and then he'll need to be transferred to a to a neuro centre anyway. But if he is having a big bleed, then it pretty much rules out any TPCI because of the amount of don't, they have to use quite a lot of heparin, don't they? Even or even during yeah. the procedure, is that right? Yeah. Well, that's my understanding. I mean, I don't know if they can do a kind of refined procedure for that, but yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one. I think uh, the probably the decision for the trauma unit rather than MTC is that um, MTC is like an hour and a half, and yeah. within our yeah. system we use these isochromes. So if it's if it's more yeah. than an hour, you should go to a T and then arrange a second yeah. transfer. But it is a good. Um, they're good. They're not good jobs, but they're the kind of jobs where it's it's sensible to remember. Um, requesting the secondary transfer as you go if that if you know what I mean so um, or like an RV with a HEMS team like an air ambulance team yeah. is what I do quite often yeah. and, and um, so if uh, so our local trauma unit has a helipad um, so it's often quite convenient to say to the HEMS team I'll meet you at that helipad um, and then they can do an assessment and fly the patient directly to King's and they don't go into the trauma unit um, yeah. or they said, okay, well, you know, it's, it's more appropriate for a scan locally uh, based on symptoms, blah, 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 blah. So you have both options. But I think it's, they're useful jobs to remember that kind of potential um, of, like, planning ahead in, in terms of secondary conveyance. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the reason why they didn't go straight to MTC. Um, yeah. The arm no and leg thing, that. like you said, I think it, I learned that uh, at CCP school, the arm and leg thing, and I think it's a really interesting one because, like you say, a stroke... It's, it's about um, the different parts of the brain that the different cerebral arteries supply. And yeah. so generally, the middle cerebral artery, which is the most common one, uh, the, the most common culprit for an ischemic stroke, supplies the area of the brain that controls the arm and face. I um, feel like we were, taught that we were taught this by the same person because I remember being taught it and being like, this is amazing, it's a genius. Yeah. Because the internal carotid artery is opposite the middle cerebral artery. And so any clot just goes straight, straight, straight up. up. And that's why 80% of, or 80% of strokes are, are strokes. positive you know, because of that. Yeah, exactly. And and the anterior cerebral artery is one that supplies the leg. Um, so it's unlikely that you would have... I mean, you can you can get like deep strokes that don't affect a cerebral artery, but affect like the deeper arteries in the brain that cause... Um, like complete unilateral hemiplegia as well, but yeah. like you say, they're kind of rarer. Um, and so, and and the kind of thing to take away from that, or the thing I took away from that, is that if someone does have symptoms of upper and lower limb weakness, especially in the context of trauma, um, it probably is more symptomatic of a bleed um, because blood doesn't follow kind of arterial territories. Obviously, it just yeah, fills sure. up the brain and, and can affect both areas. And in terms, of, if if you look at the um, uh, it's called a motor homunculus, I believe. The image of um, like which parts of the brain, like the motor cortex, control which parts of the body. The uh, leg is actually next to the arm, so it makes sense that bleeding in that area would affect both. Very good. Do you want to give yourself a sound effect? But yeah, hold on. Just the two sound. Is it just just the two sound effects? Is it laughter and then the applause? We got more. How much do you pay for that? How much do you pay for the, the, the death thing? Uh, £400. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's Good. 
fifty pounds per soundtrack though, so Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Anyway, so that's what we're thinking, isn't it? As a group and uh, Yeah, go on. As them on What's scene, the outcome? Hit the head, probably having a bleed go to to you. Um so PPCI I think that the um the STEMI is from the head injury and that can happen quite Oh yeah, quite. let's talk about that. I I Hold on, let's talk about that. It, so people do get ST elevation, widespread ST elevation. Have you got a copy of the ECG or not? No, that'd be great. No, people do. People can get, can't they? Very like widespread ST elevation, significant ST elevation when they've got raised intracranial pressure yeah. from the bleed, right? But is that what they had? You know, like is, that's the thing. Is that's what I would, I would want to know. Probably would be well if they've got you know like inferior ST elevation with reciprocal changes, then so, I would be like, well... Yeah, so know. I... So, and the mechanism isn't that well known. Again, I kind of looked into it a bit when I was at uni and I spent a bit of time on a neuro ward and I saw a lot of patients... A lot of patients on the neuro wards with subarax and stuff had um, secondary... Um, have you heard of, like... Uh, what's that? Takotsubo cardiomyopathy? Um, a big one. It's called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. It's basically Takotsubo. I have not, I have not heard of that. It yeah, doesn't sound like something I want to hear of. It's honest. annoying it because it's. I, I have put a thing up on it uh, about on the clinical board at work. I so uh, obviously don't read those. But no worries. Um, it's no, a, well, AKA, I, thought, I think I've thought about reading them. AKA about reading them, sure. broken heart syndrome. So um, it's a Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. It's kind of, it's a, relative i think it's quite a rare type of cardiomyopathy where basically people um uh, people who are susceptible to it can if they have a massive uh, like a really stressful emotional situation that can cause them to have a STEMI mimic and it basically is the um muscles in their myocardial wall uh don't function normally and so they stop um contracting normally and the lower part of the left ventricle dilates and becomes really bulbous and the ECG shows ST elevation. And they get kind of concomitant left ventricular failure as well. So it looks like a STEMI with cardiogenic shock. And the only really way to rule that out is by doing a PCI and making sure the arteries are clear. Um, however, and the reason it's called Takotsubo is because it looks like a Japanese octopus trap. That's the shape of the left ventricle. And that is called a... Takotsubo. Takotsubo. <laughs> Correct. Good. But um, but yeah, so that's it in the context of emotional. And they, they don't really know the pathophysiology too well, but it's presumed to be something to do with uh, like a massive adrenaline release affects the muscle fibers in the left ventricle. Um, but Fine. it happens in with subarachnoid hemorrhage and things as well. And, and so anywhere, depending on the literature you read, something like, like 10 and 30% of patients with subarach have this. In that context, it's called... Um, neurologic stunned myocardium but it's the same thing it's just not you know it's that's in the context of a intracranial raised intracranial pressure so it's actually quite common. It's not that uh, oh it is common oh, right, there between, you go. between 10 and 30 percent depending on where you read which is quite a lot of those patients. yeah that is a lot yeah so, and so yeah i mean that's the thing is that like but then it's difficult isn't it really because the ppci is like they probably look at the ecg yeah. So they're obviously they've made they probably made a decision based on that, but again, it's you know like it's about their biases, isn't it? You know, if they've heard that they've had a head injury, people know that's like one of those things because I knew that I knew that 
acceleration can happen in head injury. And so, you know, like that's one of those things that people sometimes put two and two together and they get 55, don't they? Whereas in reality, it might just be four. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's kind of chicken and egg because they could have had a big MI and then fallen over and hit their head. Collapse. Yeah, or they could have yeah, been, exactly. you know, knocked over or whatever. And a bit, it, then, it, then again, it's about pre-test probability, isn't it? And I suppose if someone's got all, it's like the pupil thing, isn't it? Someone's got all these symptoms of a big intracranial bleed, and they've got developing unilateral hemiplegia and dilating pupil and high blood pressure, and then their ECG shows changes that can be associated with a bleed. You kind of think, well. It could yeah. be it could be the bleed, it could be an MI, but let's rule out a bleed first anyway. So kind of fair mm-hmm. enough. But um, but yeah, yeah so they took sense. they took the patient to the TU. Um, on the route, blood pressure remained high, GCS remained thirteen. Um, they found a um, the patient had uh, his medical history written down in his wallet, so they had a look at that. He has a history of high cholesterol and enlarged prostate, prostate, prostate. Oh, okay, go on. Um, uh, it's on statins and no known drug allergies. Excellent. So I'll just kind of pause recording because Jade's. You okay? Yeah, I heard him. I don't know what he wants. It's our uh, cat's birthday today, so we're having to pander to his every need. Sorry, it's your cat's birthday. It's our cat's birthday, yeah, why? Uh, and what's. Um... Uh, what does that involve? A cat birthday? Uh, we had extra. Because I just had my daughter. It was my daughter's birthday a few weeks ago, and we had a party and a cake and and that sort of I thing. Had a party and a cake. We're not. We're not like extra. He's just had extra cuddles and then a tin of tuna with a candle in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Okay. Yeah. And who's the instigator of that in that in your household? Who's the instigator of that? Because well, neither of us need to instigate. It's just obviously a natural thing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Just I you know, for the risk, parenting, the, a risk of a risk of offending someone who uh, who you know people who like cats. I think that's absolutely pathetic. But <laughs> you know, it's each to their own, really, isn't it? And no, well, no, actually, it's not each to their own. You are pathetic. There you go. I've said it. I've always said the same thing about people it. make a fuss over their children, but yeah, people but do now you're having one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I do actually. I'm one of those people. To be fair, I think I think you know. Is it reasonable to say that? Children are more important than cats. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I'll ask you in six months' time. See what yeah, you think. See what happens. I mean, at, at present, or that, or, but not perhaps not in the presence of your partner, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I can see how the answer to that would offend her. At the moment, um, can you hear that water running? Is that really loud? No, I can't hear it. No. Oh, fair. Um, yeah, at the moment, obviously, we don't have a child yet, and so, but we do have equipment. We're gathering equipment, and so the cat um, sleeps in uh, our little next-to-me crib in the, <laughs> the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, so the cat's going to be pretty pissed off when the child arrives and starts sleeping in the next-to-me yeah. yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> back to this case. Um, so, statin, no-known drug allergies. So, at the trauma unit... Uh, met by the trauma team. Ah, Hems team met also. So um, oh, right. they did sort out the, um, the secondary transfer bit. That's good. good. Um, but went into the TU. Uh, so trauma scan shows facial fractures to the zygomas. 
facial bones. CT head, what do you reckon? Um, I think they're probably going to use the word diffuse in it. Large. Oh. Ischemic stroke with no bleeding. <laughs> uh, that is interesting. Uh, blood work unremarkable, slightly raised lactate, fine. Cardiology later did an angio and found the patient had an LAD occlusion. <laughs> wow. King of clots. Honestly, what? When you said when you said to me you had high cholesterol, I didn't, maybe I should have paid more attention to that. You probably find his cholesterol is like 78 or something. Yeah, like very high. It's difficult, isn't it? So well, there you go. Jay had a chat with the consultant. The consultant reckoned, here the guy's had a stroke, he's fallen over and sustained the head and facial injuries, and in the process of that, has dislodged a clot in his heart and caused a subsequent STEMI. Which, I guess... That's of... absolutely bonkers, isn't it? I, I... It makes sense, yeah. but <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad day, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, it's not good for that bloke, is it? What do they do for him, then? Uh, well, now, I mean, having identified that he just had a lot of ischemia going on, I imagine they probably stuck some thrombolysis in it pretty quick. It doesn't actually say yeah. in terms of the follow-up. But and I then, they, and then they've done the angiogram as well. And yeah, exactly. well they've probably, presumably they've stented that. So. And actually probably made a better, I mean, it is I mean, it is a bad day for him, but probably better than having all those symptoms from a bleed because arguably more treatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It sounds like good management, to be fair. You know, like trying to do the right, all the right stuff for him. It's mad, isn't it? When you, you know, like when the, the I wasn't expecting that as an outcome, and I was expecting that he had a, he was going to have a large bleed, and and I wasn't necessarily expecting that, uh, that he was not going to have an MI. You know, I, my thoughts were he's had an MI that's caused a collapse, and he subsequently has sustained a brain injury when he's fallen. You know, rather than yeah. Yeah, so it's turned out to be quite good route for him. Yeah, well managed. Yeah, and I mean, they, I mean, yeah, it's not a lot of treatment you can do, is there? But I think it's all in the triage of those kind of patients. A poor bloke, you know what a uh, yeah, not a good day, not a good day for him. Not a good day at all. It raises an interesting <laughs> question for me as well, which comes up quite often, and that is if you have someone who is having a. Um, Simultane- not necessarily in the context of hitting their head or anything, but if you have someone that's having stroke symptoms and a STEMI, what do you do? Do you prioritise the STEMI or the stroke symptoms? Yeah. I get asked it's this. I get asked this. Over possible death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like, I think this, that triage decision is really good because you, because I suspect what they would have done was if they, if they got to the hospital and they'd scanned him and he was having a massive bleed, then they probably would have taken him to a, to an MTC. And then, and then at some point he'll, because, you know, because they do, because um, there is still a line of managing someone who's had an MI conservatively. They don't, you know, so they don't like to do it because PCI is good, but there are people that people who have an MI that can't have PPCI, aren't there? And so they get managed conservatively. And so, yeah, we Whereas, did, didn't we speak you... about it before as well? What, in a previous episode? Yeah, I think we did. When was also, mate? No, maybe not. Weird deja vu. 
maybe it's a conversation you have with someone else, although I don't think anyone else talks to you, do they? No, that's a fair point. Fair point. I might have dreamt. Yeah, I've, so got, I mean, I've got vivid dreams. <laughs> Good. Uh, it, I think, uh, you, you know, like regardless of that, so if the outcome had been the other, you know, the, the other one that we were sort of thinking of, it probably was a good decision to take him there anyway because he, you know, they had the Hems team there and they could have they could have flown him straight away to to an MTC, which are, which is likely to have a, you know, if you just, I wouldn't have thought there's many MTCs that don't have uh, the ability to also do a PCI. I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the Hems team would have done if they'd come to scene. Do you know what I mean? I wonder whether that would have changed their changed the management at all because they, you know, they they sort of tend to be. I guess maybe it's because of the acuity of patients they see, or or because it's a bias, you know. But they tend to, to triage patients to you know like they or they take a lot of their patients to yeah. I mean, to I would MTCs. And if, so I wonder whether they would have just done that, you know, whether it's just taken to... I would hope so. I think if I was on scene and though, you know, if I got seen and Hems were there and they didn't triage to an MTC, I would challenge Be that. concerned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, I think you're right. I mean, you could argue it's a low mechanism, but I've been to lots of patients that have had significant intracranial bleeds with a fall from standing, especially at an old age. And yeah. You just kind of have, and it's like you said before, it, you know, if you've got a helicopter, it takes a lot of the um, distance discussion out of it. And most MTCs are going to have the capability to do all those procedures anyway. So, yeah, I've had a number of, I've actually had a number of conversations about this sort of recently. And, and get ready because we're going off topic. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but about that sort of like triage decision. So, staff members who have come, you know, come to sort of come and said, oh, I've been. I've got in trouble or I've been criticized for taking this patient um, to a, to like a non, to like a local emergency hospital rather than a TU. Uh, and I've been told, well, this is, this is major trauma, you know, and, uh, and usually the argument is because of the mechanism. And so, you know, you get, so you, and also a lot of those complaints are coming in like after the fact. Yeah. So they'll, you know, so they'll, so they, so after they happen to, they've done a CT scan and they found that this person's got a bleed. Um, but it's, you know, so it's a, and I, and I talked something the other day, you know, the difference between like a, a 90 year old who's had a fall down two steps onto concrete and hit their head or a 40 year old who's fallen down 20 steps, you know, that those are, those are almost equally significant mechanisms, you know, it's, it's not. And so the, when the hospital says, oh, this is trauma because of the mechanism, it's just really not that simple. And, and then. And also, and that so argument what, is. Because um, so, uh, now I work in EOC, often I deal with providing advice on these calls. I discuss it yeah. a lot, and it, the argument com- makes completely no sense because um, saying it's trauma, they need to go to a trauma unit. Like, a trauma unit can't do neurosurgery. So no. they are as useless as a non trauma unit. All they need is a CT scan. And then if they don't have a bleed, they. They don't need anything, and if they do, they need to be flown to a MTC. Yeah, and I think the geography. I think what what has affected that in a lot of areas, and in, in the area I work, is that there is it's the geography. You know, so the the sort of when these when the TUs that like were inputted, it was because of you know major trauma patients go to 
the the end goal for them is a is a major trauma center. But if it's outside of the time or the distance, they go to a trauma unit as like as a pit stop almost. But what's happened because of the geography is that and and obviously the triage, you know, like the sort of demand on major trauma centers is that you do you get this like two tier system, mm. you know, and that, and then so that affects our triage, you know, because what happens is is basic, you know, like traumatic injuries which fall short of a trauma call type deal. Do you know what I mean? They they even they get over triage to a trauma unit, you know, and it's sort of and when you're looking at a distance of sort of, you know, it's almost an hour away, even to the trauma unit, yeah. then that's a significant issue for both operationally and for patients. Yeah. Especially when that that major trauma decision tool that most ambulance services use is um it's not particularly helpful because you're supposed to only use it for major trauma, but the definition. Yeah or the generally accepted definition of major trauma is the injury severity score, which is a retrospective yeah. kind of academic scoring thing based on how bad their injuries have found have been yeah. found to be. Yeah. So it's pretty hard to say, is this person major trauma when you're in front of them? Because you don't know. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's formed quite a lot of those discussions that I've had is that, you know, there are people are like, well, if you look at the trauma tree and they're looking at the sort of, you know, like physiological... Uh, parameters that they suggest and I keep saying to people well hold on a second before you get to that there's a bit which says has this patient experienced major trauma you know and so (laughs) and so that's that that's what's happening is people are bypassing that step because of the way that they feel either emotionally or operationally about the decisions that are being made yeah yeah you know I'm with you off topic off Off topic topic, for sure interesting Uh, and we um and we we talked about your cat for about three or four minutes. Which yeah, that's I, true. Um, that's well off topic. Yeah. What's the cat's name? Oh, it's annoying because I had, like, on the tip of my tongue there, I had a joke about a cat scam. But I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't formulate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't reckon it would have been, would have been good, yeah. would it? His name is Maximus okay. Decimus Meridius. Right. And what does he get called? Max. Just Max, yeah. Or um, yeah. on his collar, uh, it says father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can tell yeah. you, I took it to the vet once and the student vet didn't understand the reference and that made me feel old. Oh, because the, film, the film's quite old now. Fuck. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so good case, interesting case, eh? Yeah, interesting case, interesting cat. So there you go. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay. And if you've got a case, send it to, but don't send them too often because doing this is a drain on my brain and time. So, you know, sort of send them occasionally to, that would be better really, wouldn't it? We do them ad hoc, you know, sort of, oh, guess what, we've had a case, that means we'll do a podcast and people will love that, won't they? I don't think so. I don't think that's how it works, no. Yeah. All right. Oh, you know, what's the what's the what's the um, email? Because you're tearing yourself up for it. I thought maybe yeah, this would be the first time you get it right. A, if you've got a case which you want us to talk about uh, for longer than is necessary, um, uh, going into points which are not relevant and going off on a tangent about our personal lives and how boring we are, then send your case to podcast at p r e m dash e d dot com. Yes.
Finally. A sound effect to be proud of. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's wrap it up on that, shall we? Because I can't get any better than that. Um, right, well, glad, good, good to catch up. Glad you're well. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 